Hi, my name's John Kasher and welcome to Cash Talk, where there'll be no boundaries and a lot of straight talk. All things money, business, and just everyday stuff. Hey guys, before we get started, just a quick reminder that all the information in this podcast is of a general nature and not tailored to your personal circumstances. So please seek personal financial advice before acting on this information. Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of Friday Finance on Cash Talk. And once again, I'm joined by Mason Thorne. Mason, how are you, mate? You're going well, thank you. Going well. Seems like it's been a little while since we've done our last one, so it'll be good to uh, good to discuss a few different things. Yeah, well, it's always good to discuss um, the world of, of, of money, and there's uh, a lot to talk about. You know, it seems that we're on this ever ever uh, you know this this roller coaster that never stops, and um, we're we're starting to field some questions from you know people. We're getting a lot of inquiries uh, around what's going on in, in in market conditions, and and today we really want to be focusing on how we can kind of help navigate through those so Mason in saying that there's there's questions that are obviously popping up and, and you're interacting with clients all the time and obviously for our viewers and listeners these might be some common ones that you know you're thinking to yourself as well too so hopefully you get uh, some nuggets out of this yeah it's a, yeah lots of different lots of different things are coming through at the moment um I think budgets are starting to get a bit more constricted which is which is actually what the RBA wants so what it's we're sort of seeing it play out in real time and when, the, when your budgets constrict, we almost see investing as a choice rather than a necessity. So it's, I think navigating these times and how can we continue to invest while still living, basically. Mm. Yeah, correct, correct. And I, I think the other thing is as well too is obviously this is just having an impact on, on the market. Um, we're, we're seeing people making investment decisions um, and also institutions are making decisions as well too. A very interesting thing was that um, fund managers are holding more cash on their books than they've ever held before. Uh, so if you think about it, that's a very interesting um, interesting stat because from our perspective, it's actually saying that there's a lot of fund managers that aren't participating in the market right now and they've actually cashed in a lot. Now, to get in those cash positions, they've obviously been you know, taking earnings, taking profits, taking a lot for a long period of time. And it goes to question like, are they getting ready to pounce? Well, it definitely looks that way, doesn't it? I mean, yeah, when you have all that cash ready, it's there to be deployed at some point. So it's just who jumps in first? Like, do you do the fund managers wait for someone else to jump in, or are they waiting on their own terms? Like, it's a bit of a, a bit of a cat and mouse type situation going on at the moment. And it goes to show that it's very, very hard to time. You know, there's a lot of statistics that prove that you know after the long term, about eight and a half. 85% of all active managers don't even beat the benchmark, you know. So if you think about that, that's a, that's a huge stat. So even though I'm telling you these these statistics, it is also very hard to time what goes in and what goes out. And at the moment, navigating through these waters, there's a lot of people that we're seeing that are trying to make decisions on, you know, when should I go in? When should I go, go out? How should I actually time this? And that it's that last piece of, you know, trying to time it, which is also very, very dangerous as well too. And I think... It goes back to diversification um, and it goes back to making sure that, you know, these investments are for the long term. Now, the other thing is I get I get as well, too, is uh, I was watching this. Um, I was actually watching this video, but I, I, it, it resonates with a lot of the questions that sometimes get asked that 
there, there was this video on, I think it might have been YouTube or it might be on one of the social media platforms. And this guy was going out and saying that, you know, short, a long-term investing is for amateurs, um, you know, short-term investing is for professionals. Um, and it's very interesting, that that comment. And, and, and Mason, what's your thoughts around that? Because what we're also starting to see is people trying to, like they're moving away from their long-term approach to try and, you know, be more tactical and be more short-term. That's a very interesting uh, quote, and there there is some truth to it. I think as professional investors, they they are they are trading on short term timeframes as opposed to longer term timeframes, simply because they've got to meet targets and things. Yeah. So their outlook's not quite as long term as say an amateur. But I I fight back on that, saying what's wrong with investing like an amateur in terms of keeping it simple, mm. investing for the long term. I invest like an amateur myself. I'm mm. quite happy to do so because I'm a long-term investor. So I think I'm not sure if that comment was meant to be a bit, bit in shade saying, oh, amateurs, like, you don't know what you're doing, whereas mm. us professionals, we know what we're doing. We're going we're gonna to trade and make profits in the short term, make some big money. Mm. I know the stats just don't seem to play out that way, though, do they, John, really? Like, as you mm. mentioned before. They, they don't. And the concern, the concern that I have with it is what does – what defines an amateur and, and professional? So what does a professional, is a professional someone that can fortune tell and read what's going to happen in the next few years? Like what, what, what determines that? And I think that by having the behavior of understanding that no one has a crystal ball, no one can move forward. You've then got to really just take it down to obviously what it is, is that there's some people that are what I would call professionals that are willing to take more risk. Okay. And it's also, it's always a risk factor. Okay. So, you know, because you don't know, you have a low risk tolerance because you know more, you have a more of a risk tolerance, but it doesn't mean because you know more as in from an academic perspective that you can now start, you know, predicting what the market's going to be. Yes. You can make better decisions. You've got better data around you. You can go in and go out. Um, but that difference is is very, very hard to quantify. Now, I'm going to give you another example of this where, you know, short-term investing is very dangerous for an amateur versus a professional. So let's say you're in the property development game, okay? You've never done property development before. Um, you're about to embark on a four, you know, four, a subdivision with four units um, and you've never done that before. Obviously, because you've never done it before, you don't know really the steps properly. You're relying on the professionals, you know, your architect, your builders, your all of that stuff. But, you know, let's just do the full extreme and imagine you try to do that on your own. Yeah. Um, there's just so many things that are involved in the building stage, the council stage, the permits, the, the everything that's involved. And it's very, very likely that you're going to underestimate the costs of that build and the costs of that project, therefore ballooning what your profits are going to be. Therefore, if then you build those townhouses, for example, and you don't, you're not going to sell them yourself. You, no, you're not, not going to. Sorry, you're not going to sell them to a real licensed real estate agent. You're going to use your own, trying to contacts to kind of flip them off. You can see that what I'm talking about here is that there's a recipe for disaster, where potentially there could be a property developer who does this, you know, every day, every week, you know, is on top of this. They're most likely going to have more knowledge, so they're going to be better prepared. But that doesn't mean that the macro environment that sits around them isn't going to be impacting them as much as it's going to be impacting with you. It just may, it might just mean that they're better prepared in what they're going to do. Now, this is exactly the same scenario when you think about it like the stock market. 
Yes, we know, me and Mason, a lot about the stock market. We know how it interacts. We know the participants. We know the macroeconomic levers that kind of pull on that. And for me, it all boils down to two factors. One is, like property development, it's for a portion of your money, okay? Like stock trading or tactical investment, it can be for a portion of your money, okay? And yes, you can make a hell of a lot of money out of property development. Yes, you can make a, a hell of a lot of money of tactical investing when it comes to the stock market, but you can also lose a hell of a lot of money as well. And this is where I'm telling you about that heightened risk. And so Mason and me obviously always kind of harp on about this long-term investing because what we're trying to do is take the lowest risk possible to get the goals and objectives that you need to achieve. And so when you're getting into the, oh my gosh, the market's moving up and down, so I need to be more tactical. Well, why do you need to be more tactical? Ask yourself that question. It's a very good point. I think I think you raised a really interesting point there too regarding when you know something, you obviously you have some advantages there, but I think there's also that risk of being overconfident, that overconfidence yeah. bias when we know things. So as you said, me and yourself, we know a fair bit about the share market, but we could easily be misinformed. Like we might make one good trade, for example, and think, oh, I know, I know it all now. Like, And we get overconfident put more and more money. And we see it all the time. It's the same as property development, all these things. I call it like the block effect. People watch the block. I could do that. They go and do it. And because the Australian property market has done so well in certain areas, mm-hmm. they put that down to, I'm a pro. I did that. And it's like, not not, not really. Um, you might got lucky with the, the place you bought and then you go to do it again, doing the same thing. It doesn't work out the second time. So I think we've got to be really careful not to be overconfident and try to, and think that we know better than the market. Um, I think particularly for me and you, John, as well, simply because the share market is so unpredictable because it relies on human emotion and behavior, not getting that overconfidence bias and just making sure and sticking to our guns. And that's why we always we always harp on that passive strategy, go with the market, long-term investing. Very, We're very boring people, John. Very boring, very boring. But I don't mind boring when it comes to this stuff. I think the other thing as well too, Mason, is that you need to be aware of your biases. So you need to be understanding about what is, is affecting you. And and today, like the questions that are getting fielded, and, and not just from us, but, you know, other advisors that I speak to and other people in the network is around, you know, the concern that my money is going down and I should be doing something else. Now, those conversations... They, they are valid because, you know, you're not at the uh, financial literate level, okay, that you understand everything that's going on. So because you don't understand what's going on, you're having this emotional reaction. And I can say that because, you know, I've invested nearly 20 years into my financial literacy to be okay with that. But don't get me wrong, I would be, if World War Three broke out, yeah, I would probably be concerned, yeah, because I haven't. I haven't, like I've learned about World War II and World War One and the wars before, but actually living through that is something that the textbooks don't kind of get you. You can't, you can't really prepare yourself for some events. And this is, this is like COVID, yeah? COVID, for example, yes, I was, when it comes to financial markets, I was much better prepared than probably a lot of other people. But yeah, like news of, you know, governments shutting down an economy, Mason, we weren't taught that, you know, I, I didn't read a, re- a textbook where it said, you know, we're going to shut down an economy. So, you know, yes, we were more prepared about it. So just to understand that your financial literacy is having a play and this is why you need to invest so much into education and knowledge and really get yourself up to speed in regards to it. But 
The other also thing is, before this happened, were you also getting overconfident? And this is what Mason was touching on before, yeah? I, I, I often say, when, when everyone's making money, everyone can make money, all right? But when everyone's losing money, well, what's happening then, okay? When the tide goes out, you'll see who's swimming naked, okay? That's that's what's happening at the moment, okay? You're seeing that, that happen. So um, for, for the people that are in a situation where they might be looking at their investments or might be looking at their accounts or maybe not looking at it all because they're really scared about it, you know, try and understand that, one, is your investment strategy set up appropriate to your risk tolerance and, you, and what, you, what the risk you require to get to where you need to get to? And then, two, is... Is it above the shoulders? Yeah. Are you are you are you being your own detriment to your own investment strategy? And if that is the case, well, then you've got to seek professional advice to help you to get through that. A big part of what advisors do for you, um, or, the, or the good advisors do anyway, is they're working on your behaviours. And this is something that won't change overnight. Okay, it's not like you all of a sudden want to be ultra fit and you're going to be ultra fit tomorrow. Fitness takes time. It's a change in behavior. It becomes, needs to become a habit. This is the same one when it comes to this. And obviously for the viewers and listeners that are watching uh, watching or listening to this, you're investing in that education and that knowledge for you to become better. And this regular stuff that we're pushing out is going to help with those behaviors and help with those education to help you lift. Okay. So Mason, is there any other questions that you're getting as well too? There is, there is, but I want to I want to touch on something you mentioned there with financial literacy. So there's lots, there's a lot of resources now with podcasts, books, mm-hmm. blogs, mm-hmm. social media, all this, all this stuff building up financial literacy, which is fantastic because we need to as a, as a as a nation we need to be more financially literate. Mm-hmm. But a couple of questions to you: Do you think you need to be really really financially literate to start investing and mm-hmm. two when when should you start investing is it is it after reading a couple of books or is it like because i know a lot of people can read these things and read and read forever and never mm-hmm. take any action so unless mm-hmm. knowledge is put into practice mm-hmm. it's not really any good for you so yeah, yeah a couple of questions there probably some tricky ones to answer there john but i think i think you're probably well equipped to answer these yeah all right so the first one the first one is Never invest what you're not willing to lose, okay? So regardless of where you are in your financial situation, I I say the best way to start is imagine the money that you're going to put into this investment, you're never going to get back, okay? So just think about that. If you can afford to get rid of $100 and never get it back, yeah? Is is that your comfort level? Is it 1,000? Is it 2,000? Is it 5,000? You've got to start there first and foremost. Just pretend that you're never going to get this money back, okay? Two, only invest in things you know, okay? Now, this is the other thing. So when you go to start investing, when, what, what dictates the term of what you know, okay? Now, it doesn't mean that you need to be an absolute ninja, which we obviously try and help our clients to get to, but enough that you understand how it works, okay? If you're going to invest in National Australia Bank or you're going to invest in a BHP, or if you're going to invest in whoever that may be, a stock, for example, you need to understand the the business, okay? You're investing the business. Yes, it's a very small percentage, 
but you need to understand it. And I think, Mason, what a lot of people do is they invest in these companies, for example, and have no clue what they're investing in. Okay, they, they got the information because they read an article and they think that it's good. Well, is it really good? Yeah, that who's that article? Who's the provider? Who knows that that's good? Like you need to understand where you're investing in, okay? And there's ways to make it easier for you these days, okay? Obviously, you know, there's managed funds, there's ETFs, there's stuff like that. But even then, you need to understand how these products work, how these solutions work, what you're getting out of them. And really start to build your knowledge in regards to what you're investing in because you should never invest in what, um, in what you don't know. And when's the best time to start investing is as early as possible. So you need to get to some level of financial literacy to start investing. But there is a caveat that I've started to notice lately. A lot of people over the last two years-ish or maybe 18 months were putting a lot of money because money was cheap into investing, okay? And they were forgetting about that rule that I said at the start, which is don't put like only put in the money that you, you're never going to get back, essentially, and you're willing to lose, okay? Because a lot of people are drawing down on their investments, okay, stopping them, or they've put too much money in in the first place, okay? And we find ourselves having to fix problems to try and address that. Address that. So hopefully that answers your question in regards to when and how and, and how to approach it. Yeah, it definitely does. I think, yeah, I think you answered that very, very well. Um, but something actually, a, a client, or wasn't a client actually, it was a family friend. They they sent me a message. It was actually last night. And I think you'll mm-hmm. you'll get a bit of a kick out of this. It was so BHP is currently they are paying quite a good dividends. I think he he mentioned like over twelve months, like something like twelve percent or something pretty crazy. He's like, oh, I can borrow money at five percent, mm-hmm. invest in BHP. So his, his example, so I'm going to borrow a million dollars in the BHP, get twelve percent, borrow at five percent. I'm making seven percent. Mm-hmm easy money like i don't mm-hmm. he, he couldn't see the risk of that mm-hmm. and well that's quite interesting how his mom was working on that so million dollars mm-hmm. invested in this one company to get mm-hmm. a 12 cent dividend mm-hmm. completely ignoring the capital value mm-hmm. well the thing the thing is is mason is that there's a few things there okay benjamin graham and i'm going to kind of paraphrase him says that don't chase returns you know, don't, don't manage the returns, manage the risk, okay? And essentially in that scenario is that the individual is looking at the return, the one plus one equals two, yeah? They're not looking at that. In this case, it could be one minus five equals, you know, uh, minus four. That's, they're, they're not looking at, at that side of things, which is the risk. And this is the greed factor. So there's greed and fear that kind of goes in the psychology of making investment decisions. And it's that greed factor where I can make quote unquote easy money, okay? And the thing is, is that that is not the case. Obviously, BHP, if you're putting all of your money in that case into BHP, you're putting it in a single stock, okay? You're then riding on that business, okay? Uh, for example, you know, BHP, iron ore, coal, Let's just say that tap turns off. All of a sudden, a, a big, big company, um, not that it might, you know, will completely fall over, but I would imagine the share price would be quite affected um, if, if the production of what they're producing at kind of falls away. Not just that, there's management costs in regards to who's managing the business. What kind of the direction are they going in? Do they have really high cost margins? So when you start to get into direct, you're starting to look at the business, starting to look at the balance sheet, the profit and loss statement. The, the management that sits on there, yeah? What kind of their track record? Where's their, 
What's their vision look like? What are they trying to do in the next one, two, three years? Is that in line with where you think things are going to be? So there's a lot of things that happen in regards to that. The other thing as well, too, in regards to that is that, that that's borrowed money, okay? I would imagine, okay? So there's also borrowed money. So if you're lending a million bucks, like a borrowing it, remember you're lending it from someone else. They're still going to want their money back, okay? So if things don't work out and you're half a mil in the hole on your investments and you're a million dollars in the hole still from the money you owe, you know, all of a sudden, yes, you've borrowed a million bucks, but now you owe $1.5 million, okay? Like, as in, like, sorry, you've lost the amount of money because you still need to take it back. So, you know, you're, you've lost $500,000 in that scenario. You've also got to give your, your, your million bucks back. Um, it's, it can be very, very dangerous when it also you add gearing into it because all of a sudden what you're doing is you're magnifying the loss potential as well. So, you know, in that particular case, there's a lot of risks that happen to, to be mitigated. And, and for people to know, my major at uni was financial risk management. I knew what I wanted to do for a very long time. And I focused on risks because I understood that by managing the risks, we can manage the returns and we can manage the stuff. And obviously, my second wave of learning for myself was then I understood that not just managing the risks, but if I can also manage the behaviors of individuals and the way that they interact, putting those two, two together is a recipe for success. I think you've answered that very well. Hopefully, hopefully he has a listen today and he can uh, he can learn learn a thing or two. But John, obviously, there's a lot of a lot of volatility happening in the market right now, as we've seen even over the last two weeks. Like the volatility has actually been, I can't remember it being this volatile in my in my time personally. It's mm-hmm. just it's been swings of like not just like half percent. These are two three percent up down mm-hmm. up down. Like it's it's quite quite roller coastery. It's mm-hmm. been quite insane, really. So mm-hmm. for someone who who is looking to get started, mm-hmm. is now the right time? Like, or should we wait until things settle down a bit? Well, volatility creates opportunity, actually. Okay. Um, and this is the other thing that people need to understand. Like, regardless of if you're doing a, 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 a short-term strategy or if you're using a long-term strategy, if you're using a long-term strategy, aka we say a dollar cost averaging strategy, okay you're buying at different prices and that volatility is going to allow you to buy things potentially at cheaper prices than they will be in 12, 12, 24, 36 months, okay? Now, the volatility is something that I've been harping on about for a long, long time, okay? As more money flows into markets, as more participants get into markets, there's more people's behaviors that are going and interacting with the market, okay? So as that continues to happen, we're seeing more swings happening, especially if you look at, for example, the VIX, aka the fear index, okay? You can see that it's jumping around. It's actually been climbing now, okay, Um, quite a bit. Now, what's happening is, is that sensitivity in the market, okay? We're getting that sensitivity. And think about not only is there more participants, there's more people involved, there's more money flowing in, there's also more media around it. There's more, there's more, like information. Therefore, if there's more information, it's causing more waves. Just try to imagine the stock market 50 years ago. How did you know what was going on in the stock market? You might have heard it on the radio at that point in time, you know, and you'd have to listen at that particular time. They don't give you like the daily ticker update, you know, minute second update. You go onto a website and you see what the stock market's doing. You usually see it in the paper, okay, in the morning. I know, for example, like the people that I saw, um, you know, not 50 years ago, but, you know, even before the internet and stuff, you know, they'd look at the stock prices and the AFR or they're looking at things like that. 
and they're marking it and they're tracking it like that. So the information was not as streamlined as it is today. And everything's being more sensitized just because of this information that's coming in. And the, and the market, regardless if it's the stock market, property market, whatever it is, is just being heightened in sensitivity because of all of this. And this is something that I've been harping on internally for a long, long time. And I'm very happy that I'm, I'm, I'm saying this publicly because I, I, can, I think that this is going to continue to happen. So, Mason, do I think that volatility is going to like subside? Yes, it's going to subside through periods, but these levels of uh, peaks and troughs and figuring out where the market's sitting, volatility is, I think, going to become bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger over time in times of decision-making for the market. I think that's fair. I think that's a fair thing to say. I think I think we've been blessed over the last decade of so little volatility in the market that we just we forgot this. What volatility is? What the market is? Like it's just it's volatile in nature in itself. So I think we're coming back to coming back to a norm that we just haven't seen for quite a while. So getting used to that. And as you said, volatility brings opportunity. Particularly for long term investors and dollar cost averaging, which we harp on. So if anything, for our clients. Mm-hmm. this could be seen as a huge positive. Hmm. Well, well, this is the other thing that for people that are in accumulation stage, I understand for people in preservation stage or that walking into pre-retiree, there is a massive like timing risk in regards to a lot of this stuff depending on your retirement. And this is where you might need to adjust certain things. But for people that are accumulating wealth, okay, essentially you want the stock market to go as low as possible. Like you actually want it to drop as much as you can so that you can continue your dollar cost averaging and start to buy more units, yeah, and buy more units. Uh, and a, a thing that I know we use, Mason, when we start to get these accumulators that are it's not necessarily the thinking the way that we want them to, is to not focus on the dollar value. So if you're looking at your statement, don't look at the dollars, look at the units, yeah, and look at the amount of units that you hold. And when your dollar cost averaging is buying more units and more units and more units and more units and more units, you can see that's accumulating. You get more, you're getting more bang for your buck. Yeah. And so reality is you want it to kind of, you know, in in a lovely world, you want it to kind of tank. And then just before you need the money, it just goes bang and explodes. Yeah. Obviously that doesn't happen in, in reality, but you can just kind of think about how your behaviors and the way that you view things and even the way that things are said impact the way that you feel about markets. It's a very good point. Yeah. So I guess for an accumulator, for an accumulator, the best stock market is a really flat line. It's around zero. Yeah. Going along, going along. Day before retirement, this one. Bang. Straight up. Straight up. <laughs> straight up. Straight up. Yeah. Don't think that's and- gonna happen, unfortunately, John. Nah, nah. But uh, yeah, there might be asset classes, digital asset classes that are um, have that kind of trajectory. Um, but unfortunately, unfortunately, they have problems as well. Um, but the other thing as well, too, is for the people that are in preservation stage or they're drawing down on their money as well, too, the biggest thing is just not exposing yourself to too much risk, okay? Only risk that you can, you can tolerate. And the other thing we do is be making sure that you've got good cash reserves to ride out these times. So, you know, do remember that these rough seas will kind of subside. Yeah, there will be clearer waters ahead. Okay, I, I can I can assure you that in years to come, you'll look back on this and go, oh, you know, that was that was just a blip. Okay, and if you think about this, guys, if you look at any market chart, 
Okay, have a look at it in the short term. Maybe do three months, do six months, have a look at it. And then go have a look at three years. Go have a look at six years. Go have a look at 30 years, okay? And you can see what happens. And unless we move away from a capitalist society, I, I think it's going to be the same, yeah? Um, central banks are insuring it at the moment, you know? Um, you, can, you, can see at the, you can see the intervention from government. Do I agree with it? Well, that's another story, okay? But there's, there's more money, more flows going into, into, into assets, um, at the moment, people's money flow is moving obviously more towards defensive assets so because they're getting like, more of a risk-free return. But times will, t- times will change, okay? You'll have periods of this and then there'll be periods of, of um, you know, extreme growth in regards to, in regards to risk, risk assets. And, you know, for people that are watching this there's a, or, or listening to this, there's a great um, asset class chart that Vanguard Australia provide. Um, if you jump on there, and I think it's called just the asset class table, if you just type in Vanguard asset class table, you'll be able to see the different asset classes and how they've performed over different periods of time. It is absolutely amazing. And I think the other one as well, too, is the uh, the, the digital interactive chart that they've got in regards to asset allocations, where you can also see different asset allocation returns over a long period of time. And you can see that there's spikes in different asset classes but in the long term, it's these growth-orientated assets of like shares and property and stuff like that that win over the long term. So going back to the pre-retiree or the person that's in preservation, they've really got to be mindful that they've got their assets in the right baskets, okay? The short-term, medium-term, and long-term baskets. And if you're questioning that and you're, you're getting concerned, we'll seek professional advice to, to manage that. Yeah, spot on. Just one more thing I want to touch on with the people who are in that preservation stage Mm-hmm. It's it also it's like I what I hear a lot, John, is oh I haven't got a long time. It's only a short time for my investment, but that's not actually true. When we retire, we could be retired for thirty years. That's a pretty long time. So that's why, as you mentioned, the buckets. It's always important to still have a long term focus in mind for at least some of your money. Not not all of it by by any means, but mm. having your buckets there for the short, medium, long term is so crucial when you're in that stage because. We want that money to last for thirty years, so we're not. Yeah. We can't always go straight to cash unless you have mm. a hell of a lot of it. Mm. You still need that long term focus. So mm. I think that's a bit of a common misconception that I hear quite a lot, John. Yeah, very, very, very much so. And I, we've talked about it in the past, but also the cost the the cost of two factors in, in current markets is one is moving to these defensive assets, crystallizing losses. You know, and how are you going to be able to recover the positions that you're in, and two. The, the risk of not taking enough risk, okay? And that's another killer as well too that go is a silent killer. Remember, obviously inflation at the moment, but let's say inflation is on average, say 3%, just say, okay? If inflation is on average at 3% and your, and your investments are earning 2%, you're actually 1% worse off. So, you know, that compounding effect over a long period of time means that you're effectively losing money. So, Assets that usually are earning above inflation are these growth assets. So we need to try and get money into that, especially for these long-term assets. Spot on. All right. Good way to end it. That's it. Well, mate, thanks for jumping on again. For for everyone viewing and listening, uh, thanks for for jumping on as well too. And uh, we look forward to uh, speaking to you next time. Thanks, Mason. Thanks, Sean. Thank you for listening to another episode of Cash Talk. 
I hope you enjoyed it. And if you want to learn more about me, jump onto my Instagram at, at thejohncasher and you'll find me there or at my website at www.johncasher.com.au. Thanks for listening. Cheers.